0: Welcome to the HerDefined podcast, here to help you define your own means of success. Do you have ambitious career goals, but are feeling lost, confused, or even frustrated with where you're currently at? Maybe you have a passion to start your own business, but don't know how to achieve it. Hi, I'm Juliana, and I've been right where you are at several points in my life. During these times, I've turned to inspiring and ambitious women for guidance to point me in the right direction and lead me to a solution. Each week, here on Her Defined, a successful entrepreneurial or businesswoman will share her real-life experiences and insights while defining the ways in which she achieved success. Thanks so much for listening, let's get into it. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Her Defined podcast. I am so excited for you to listen to today's interview. This guest is truly remarkable. She was not made to be subtle and has made it her mission to amplify the voices of women, particularly black women and women of color. Selena Caesar Chavan is an equity and inclusion advocate and leadership consultant and a former member of parliament who served parliamentary secretary to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and to the Minister of International Development. During her term as MP, Selena advocated for people suffering with mental illness and was awarded the Champion of Mental Health Parliamentarian in May 2017 by the Canadian Alliance of Mental Illness and Mental Health. She was also named one of the most influential people of African descent, Global 100 Under 40, Politics and Governance and Black Parliamentarian of the Year in 2017, and featured in the April 2018 edition of O by Oprah Winfrey magazine entitled What Would You Stand Up For? Before entering politics, she was a successful entrepreneur launching and growing an award-winning research management consulting firm with a particular focus on neurological conditions. You can find her on all social media platforms at IamSelenaCC. In this episode, Selena highlights when she realized she needed to take a stand against the Prime Minister and how she advocated for herself, how we can all create our own history, and how analyzing our failures can be far more meaningful and insightful compared to our successes. In all of your positions throughout your career, so member of parliament, public speaker, advocate, author, now what have you enjoyed most about each one?
1: Oh my goodness. There is a uniform um, element of each of those jobs that I just adore. And that is meeting people. And so I have to explain that though, because I am a trained extrovert. So I love being inside. I'm an introvert. And, And in fact, I love being inside in my bed in my warm, comfy clothes, mm-hmm. uh, in my comforter and everybody else could just go away. Right. Including my family sometimes. <laughs> um, and so the, 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 it's surprising that I really love meeting people, not in a big group, but just individuals because, you know, you meet them, you hear their story, you know like a little bit about them and then you're able to connect in a way that is so empowering and incredible. And then they tell me bits about themselves that I just I just love. And I hear bits about them that I'm like, oh my God, this is like the best thing I've ever heard. Your, your story is so fascinating. And that for me is, I think people are fascinating when we're able to connect human to human and sort of drop the whole facade. And I guess it's the reason why I wrote my book, like totally based on all my mistakes and guilts and things, is because I want people to like connect and like just understand that we have more in common than we do different.
0: I agree with that in the sense that I'm very much an intro. I guess you could call it an introverted extrovert. Yeah where I like I thrive on being alone and almost re-energizes me for when I go
1: back out and talk to other people and everything right 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 but the, the the thing is like you know how do you then develop those relationships that allow you to you know, be an entrepreneur or go into politics or be an author, that you need to make those connections, right? So you have to train yourself to sort of step outside of your comfort zone if you are an introvert or someone who is really shy or someone who just doesn't like people. (laughs) Um, But you have to train yourself to be able to say, okay, I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to, you know, join a book club or, you know, join a board of an organization or volunteer and start to make those connections and start to sort of dispel a little bit of that so that you you know how much energy you need in those environments. You don't just throw yourself in at the deep end and then say, oh my God, I don't have enough capacity, right?
0: Right, 100%. And would you say that because you've had so many different, I guess you would call them streams within your career and that's happened because you've reached out to all these people and connected with different individuals? Yes.
1: And so, you know, I'm not going to give away my too much of my book, but a friend of mine, my friend of mine, I think was in chapter eight, asked me what I did for fun. And I said, well, I don't, I don't have fun. I just, I'm focused on my business. It's not going to grow itself. Right. And so she said, okay, well, why don't you, if you're not going to have fun, why don't you just do different things where you could put your skills and your expertise in different circles. And she called them circles of influence. So I joined the governing council at the University of Toronto. I joined a board with um, the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. And so by the time I you know, got into politics, I had these existing f- relationships that I had built and fostered, right? So you have to stay in touch with these people and talk to them, right? So, but you can't do that if you're not doing anything other than the one thing that you're focusing so much on that you can't make friends and you can't have fun. So you have to, you have to get outside of your comfort zone and do that. And you have to be intentional about it. So of course, all the questions that I'm asking, I don't want to give away too much of your book. So maybe you can just like give, give little
0: teasers. I'll give teasers, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's sort of dive into your time as being a member of parliament. Did you see your demotion to the backbench in advance of Prime Minister Trudeau's decision to shuffle his parliamentary secretaries?
1: No, so I wasn't I wasn't demoted to the backbench. I was moved from parliamentary secretary to of to the prime minister to parliamentary secretary for international development. And that was something that I asked for. Um, I I didn't want to be tokenized within that role as his parliamentary secretary. And I felt, it's not that I felt, that's, you know, pretty much what was happening. And so I thought, you know, why am I going to stay in a position? And, you know, that is something that's very hard for people to do, to say, I'm going to leave something that gives me a lot of prestige. It gives me a lot of, like, the title is fantastic. Who wouldn't want to be parliamentary secretary to the prime minister? Like it is. The, the, the you know, the tag team of the prime minister themselves. But to leave something that, you know, is not fitting with your spirit, not fitting with your soul and say, I'm OK with that. I don't mind. I could be better served somewhere else. And moving to international development was, you know, one of the best jobs I ever had. Like, I loved it. It's, you know, the greatest story Canada never tells about people working across the country and around the world doing amazing work. And then when there's a, something bad happens, like a hurricane or famine or war, they double down and do more work. Blow your mind. Incredible. stuff. Yeah. How
0: did you thrive within an anti-Black, racist, and sexist environment on
1: Parliament Hill? What a question. What a question. Well, you know, the thing is, is that what, in 2015, I had signed up with a government that said that, you know, add women, change politics, diversity is our strength. So that was a real intersectional feminist kind of mantra for me. And I was really excited to be a part of that team that was going to be able to fulfill its mandate and not just fulfill a mandate to Canadian people. I didn't think I had to worry about what was happening internally. I just thought, you know, this is what we're going to be doing externally Little did I, but the thing is, in the back of my mind, I always said, I don't want to fight liberals for the sake of fighting liberals. Like I'll fight with conservatives, like the opposition, right? But I don't want to fight my own party. And it found, you know, after a while that I was being excluded. I was like the misogyny, the sexism, the racism that I was experiencing was beyond something that I, I knew I didn't need to tolerate, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not someone who's like at the beginning of her career and sort of, you know, trying to, to figure these things out. And, you know, in chapter 10 of my book, I did a lot of that. I did a lot of the figuring out what's going on. Is this real? I mean, is this seriously happening? And then by 2019 or 20, the, the end of 2017, I was just like, yeah, this is really happening, but I still have this job. So do I use this opportunity to amplify voices of people that I know need that amplification or do I cower? And, you know, I just thought, no, let's, let's do this. Let's amplify the voices. Let's bring the noise. Let's rattle the cages and break some glass ceilings along the way.
0: Amazing. I love it. So this sort of ties into that whole feeling and um, amplifying those voices. Can you elaborate on that immense pressure of being asked to, you know, not step down or, or not to make the announcement that you will no longer be a member of parliament and you were asked to hide that or to not announce that, but you knew you had to. What was that
1: like? So, you know what? It's interesting because that's how misogyny works, right? So when you are being asked by someone, a male in power, to defer what you want in order to appease what they want, and it was interesting for me in that moment because you know I we just had this phone call I told off the prime minister and um, in 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 a very you know colorful way. So for context for your listeners, I t- I was calling the prime minister to tell him that I was not going to run in the next election. He told me off. And told me I had to wait because he couldn't have two powerful women of color. Jody Wilson Rabel resigned that day too. Announced that they were leaving on the same day, which is like, yo, dude, like that has nothing to do with me. And then went on to tell me how, you know, I should appreciate him and the privilege. And oh, I was just like, the, I'm sorry, I worked hard while I was here. And, you know, you have this moment where you're like thinking of all these things that you've done to get here. You didn't. You didn't steal the job. You didn't borrow it. He didn't give it to you. You worked hard. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I was just, I just said, you know what? Screw you. Screw you, motherfucker. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and I said, like, I worked hard. Like, I worked hard to be here. And, you know, immediately after that, my husband, so we hang up the phone and my husband says, you know, maybe you should just delay the announcement. And it was so interesting for me because my husband's job is to protect me. So he's always going to try to protect me because he knew I was really upset. But that moment was really defining for me because it was an ability to stand in your own power, to say, you know, we tell... Women, girls, people with intersecting identities to stand up for themselves, to not allow bullies to push them around, to not allow things to happen that you know shouldn't be happening. And in that moment, I was able to say, No, you're not going to push me around. What he wanted me to do was say, Oh, okay, sorry, yeah, okay, I will delay it. And I was like, Yeah, I might delay it, but I'm not letting you talk to me anyway. Right. You know, and that for me was a message that I think, you know, young especially young women and girls needed to hear that they don't have to accept bad behavior they don't have to settle they could leave and they could leave and they could swear like who made up this rule that we have to sit quietly or be seen and not heard or something like that like and so well spoken too, right? Yeah, you know like we're articulate and smart and then every now and again you got to drop a motherfucker like you like you need to. Right?
0: I love it. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: And and they said something, there's some kind of correlation between the quantity of you swearing and your your IQ, like you must be a mm-hmm. genius at this point, right? So, anyhow, I just think that, you know, when we think about these rules that are made, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, um, women should be seen and not heard. Like, who made up these rules? And where were the transformative, bold women that would have said, oh, hell no, when these rules were being made up, right? We weren't in the room. We weren't there. And yet we tried to fit into this this narrative that has, has always excluded us. So now, you know what we're going to do as her defined? We're going to redefine and her define all the rules. Yes, definitely. So in your opinion...
0: Out of all of your, well, what I think are amazing achievements, what is
1: your greatest achievement? My greatest achievement, and this is going to sound so totally uh, ridiculous, but it are my children. And not that I have children. The fact that they are these powerful little beings, especially my daughter's, they are Selena 2.0. They're the version of me that when I look at their age, so my my girls have traveled by themselves around the world since they were 13 years old. Like they have a passport and they're just gone. Um, you know, my my 21-year-old, she just finished her law degree. When Trump got elected, she said, you know, uh, mom, I need uh, 150 bucks. I'm like, why? Like, okay, as I'm counting out the money, I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to Washington to protest. And I was like, okay, just be careful. And remember that I work with the government of Canada. So don't go down there and say anything anti-government, right? First thing she does, it's down there and it's like, oh, I just did an interview with the CBC." I'm like, no, oh my God, no, don't. <laughs> Are you nuts? But yeah, they are these, you know, totally fierce, independent women that I never had an opportunity to do that because my parents were so strict. I didn't have that opportunity. And I just see them and I'm like, oh my God, you're doing what? Like what are you doing next? Oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> like I'm so excited for them. And that's that's my biggest accomplishment. But you know, it's it sounds really selfish that they're like my my biggest accomplishment, but they they push me. They push me to do better because I, they're so much greater than I ever was at their age. They push me to always like excel. And they're for they push me to excel for all of our kids. Like for all young people who are like, they want to see a world changed. And so through them, I keep going. I keep the advocacy. I keep the activism going. When they see me, I remember that day you know, sitting as an independent. So I I had the phone call with the prime minister and then I sat as an independent and, you know, I start off my book talking about that day after, like the next day of coming, a city as an independent. And that decision was made within four hours, right? So it's after I made the, the announcement that I wasn't going to run. Then Jody Wilson-Raybould's thing comes up where there's this SNC Lavalin scandal and she's saying that she's being bullied by the prime minister and PMO and everybody within PMO was saying, no, that didn't happen. No, that didn't happen. And we had just come out of a me too movement where we said, believe women, believe her. And I found it so interesting that the, my colleagues could believe her when it was convenient and leave her when it was not. And that day of making that decision, I just thought, how am I going to look my daughters in the eye if I don't stand up for this woman? How am I going to ever look at my daughters who are are my heroes and say, I didn't stand up for her when I could have, irrespective of all, and I did all the mental math of all the consequences. I knew I'd probably never work again. The only reason I'm working right now at Queens is because Jane Philpott hired me. I have not worked for a year, uh, uh, over a year. I could not find a job, and so I knew that there would be consequences speaking out against somebody very powerful, like a prime minister. But nothing could be more disappointing or more powerful than the disappointment of my own kids looking at me for not standing up for for someone who needed me to.
0: Yeah. Wow. Is there one piece of advice that has stuck with you today or that you can always relate to?
1: The one piece of advice that I wish I knew earlier that I'm going to, I I relate to that will stick with me forever is to be my authentic self. Just like we were talking about earlier, not trying to fit, not trying to to fit into that mold, to fit into that narrative that somebody with limited imagination came up with, to actually think about how much better a space could be if I don't try to lose part of myself or hide part of myself or to say part of myself isn't good enough or quiet myself to fit into there. You know, and I think right now, when we're talking about how you redefine these rules, or you her define these rules is to say that we are going to show up 100% authentic. And not only that, we're going to show up 100% authentic, authentic, and we're going to protect each other while doing it. Because we know that in spaces, it, there's so much violence when we show up authentically. There's, you know, we're either too girly or our voice is too high or we're too emotional or we're too this or we're too that. We're always too something for someone. And in those moments, we need to say, no, 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 she's not too emotional. In fact, she's not emotional enough. We need to protect each other as we are being authentic. Otherwise, it just won't work.
0: Well, growing up, You're always trying to push away from your authentic self just because you just want to fit in so badly or just, you know, hide away, which is really upsetting because now I'm still in that cycle where sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just go with like the status quo. But a lot of myself now is pushing away against that. But like it's taken quarter of a century to figure
1: that out right but that's early though like you're you, that's a good time to figure it out you know like I'm 40 I'm gonna be 47 this mm-hmm. year and just figuring that out like you know 20, in, in September of 2017 where I said you know that's it I need to show up as my authentic self because it's killing me to, to try to fit into politics it was never designed for me to be there in the first place It wasn't designed for women. It wasn't designed for indigenous people, people of color. We didn't have the right to vote. So it wasn't designed for for us to be there. And then I'm trying to fit in. And then I just said, forget it. Be authentic, Selena. They're going to talk about you anyway. Might as well give them something to talk about. (laughs)
0: So in your book, Can You Hear Me Now? is based on the story of you falling in love with who you are and finding your voice in the unlikeliest of places. So, of course, without giving too much away, can you name off maybe a few tips or advice or techniques of how you went about finding
1: your voice? Oh, my goodness. It's a perfect segue into our last uh, segment. It is about re-finding that child right? That child that has been pushing things away, pushing so that you could fit in with the cool kids and fit in with the jocks and fit in with the (laughs) the cliques at high school and then fit in at work and fit in here. And what I found was, and I say it in the book, you know, the three-year-old version of Selena was the most powerful version because the three-year-old self used to sing naked at the top of the (laughs) stairs, Rod Stewart, if you want my butt, <laughs> think <laughs> sexy, and I can't sing. I'm one of those people that you know on um, what's that show with Simon Cowell, American Idol, and the person comes on and they're like, ah! and <laughs> and Simon's like, "Are you serious?" It's a no from me. Yeah, yeah right. And I'm like, I know. What are you talking about? Did you not hear that note? And Simon's like, no, that wasn't a note, honey. That was something, but it wasn't a note. I hold my ear and I'm like, babe, this note. He's, my husband's like, no. But three year old Selena didn't care. She didn't care. She sang, and people would be like, You suck. Shut up. And, just, and your body is scrawny. Go put the clothes on. And she'd be like, Yeah, okay, I'll do, I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> So how do I find that three-year-old Selena again? I've actually had to practice it. Mm-hmm. Practice standing in front of a mirror without the makeup, without the the fancy clothes, and just look at myself and appreciate who I am. You know, we we often expect to go into other spaces and and say, you know, how do how do you get other people to have confidence in you in other spaces? But we don't have confidence in ourselves, in our own space, in our own skin. Right. So we need to. Find that person singing on top of the stairs and and say, I love that person. I love that powerful being. And then you could put the makeup on and the power suit and the heels and walk into a room and say, I'm confident in myself. So I couldn't care less what anybody else in the room felt about me. I know I'm ready. I know I earned the spot. I know I deserve to be here. So now I just need to show up.
0: Do you do like morning mantras
1: or do you read or you listen to music? Like how do you? All of the above. All of the above. So it is the mantras and it, it's meditation, right? So I I do, I am meditations. I am all the things that I want to manifest. So I do that. I read, I and I read a lot of spiritual books. So I read a lot of heavy, like equity books, right? Things like how to be anti-racist and stuff like that. But then I do read a lot of spiritual books, so Buddhism and Taoism. And so it's not really a religious base. I just want to reach a higher level of consciousness about people, the, the, my surroundings and the energy that I have. But I also, you know, listen to all kinds of music. So there's some times when you need Jesus, and there's sometimes when you need bone crusher. Like <laughs> you need some like hardcore, <laughs> like cussing rap, or you need something yeah. that you know yeah. allows you to go to church.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I love it. Great combination. Full rain, <laughs> and then everything in between. It's interesting, you know, as some songs come on. And I'd I'd look at my kids, I'm like, you know that song? And they're like, yeah, you know, because we listen to all genres of music and music is my therapy. And there's sometimes that I forget, like, because I I live with major depression and anxiety. So there's times when my brain actually doesn't remember what my therapies are. And then I sit through the whole day and then I'm like, oh my God, I could just put on some music and it'll make me feel better and i'll put the music on and it'll be just okay i feel start feeling better but it's a it's a combination of the meditation the reflection the a lot of self reflection a lot of you know journaling writing things down and just making sure that i'm powered up to do the activism work
0: I feel the same way about music. I find if I put on a specific song, or even if I listen to a new song, and I'll listen to it, I'll be like, oh my God, this is explaining exactly how I'm feeling. Yes. And I can move to it. And it's just, it's a, the feeling is indescribable. Yeah. You listen to it, and then you just feel yeah. so much better, yeah. or you have a different insight on something. It's just
1: really powerful. Or you play it again, and you have it on repeat. <laughs>
0: I'm the same type. I will literally play a song to death, but and all my friends are like you've literally listened to this like 50 times.
1: So now yeah, and and I'm totally okay with it. I I always think when I'm doing that I'm like I never want to not love this song.
0: <laughs> right. Right. There have been times, though, when that has happened and I don't love it anymore. But I'm like, Kate, it served its purpose.
1: Oh, that's good. I'm going to write that one. It served its purpose. Because I really fret about that when it's a good song. And I'm like, this is the 50th time this is played today. I don't want to not love this song, but it serves its purpose. It gets you of know, the funk right, and you're back and you're mm-hmm. ready to go again.
0: You mentioned you wrote your book so that it could be part of your history. What can listeners do to create their own history?
1: So stories are sticky. Tell your story. The way in which we are going to build back better, have a better world is if we tell each other stories, if we have the empathy that is required to see ourselves in each other, to feel ourselves in each other. And if we could only do that, if we speak up, And tell each other stories and not from a filtered instagram filtered way right because what you see on the internet on social media is not a real story anybody could look through my instagram and it is it's great my family is fantastic my face is flawed well my face actually is flawless but (laughs) but you know like you know i seem to have like this perfect sort of life and then you read the book and you're like oh damn (laughs) guess it's not that perfect but if we if we want the empathy that is required to change the world, to look out for each other, to understand why we need to still advocate for people who have less than, advocate for people who are vulnerable and marginalized, we need to tell our stories. And we need to tell our stories of pain and hurt and guilt so that we could heal together. And, you know, I I, I said this the other day, you know, we want to heal the planet related to climate change but we can't have a real conversation with each other and heal each other. How are we going to heal the grass? How the hell are you go heal the grass? You can't heal each other, yeah. right? Like you, you want to heal the, the ocean, but you can't heal each other. You can't talk to each other. Like that doesn't make any sense. Let's try to heal each other and maybe we'll generate enough capacity to heal the grass and then the trees and then our water and our air. In the same way that we see the Me Too movement and that it bubbled into like and festered into all this ugly stuff. We're talking about racism and that it festers into this. That's what our planet is doing right now. It's festering into the, look at the oceans, festering with crap. How are you going to heal that? We have to get right back to a very, very basic source. It's a love source. It's an empathy source. It's a connecting to one another's source. And that's why like platforms like this, they're so critically important what you're doing. So critically important to be able to share these stories, share these lessons in unconventional ways. This is not going to be on the six o'clock news but you are using your platform, your privilege Mm -hmm. to be able to talk about things that will give each other people power. And this is the thing about privilege. Privilege becomes a problem when people, one, don't recognize they have it because then they can't use it for good. If you could recognize, like I could recognize the privilege that I have and then use it for good. When people do not recognize their privilege because they're like, oh, I don't have privilege. I mean, if you could recognize it, then you could use it for good. If you don't recognize it, you keep it for yourself and it, it becomes more of an egocentric thing. And so, yeah, we, we we totally need to be doing things differently. And I applaud you for this this podcast because it's wonderful.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much. I like the point that you said about Using your platform because, so just a side note, I'm in, like, literally in love with Lady Gaga. I just love her so much because, one, I love her vocals and everything goes back to the music thing. But what I particularly like about her is that she uses her platform mm-hmm. for mental health, for gay rights, LGBTQ. She was very active in the Black Lives Matter movement, you know? Yes. Me too, right? Yeah. And she's always working to make sure that that platform that she has every cause or belief that she believes in or someone whose voice isn't being heard
1: is going to be heard through hers that's it exactly that's that's where if you have privilege understanding privilege is a it's a powerful force in being able to change our world it's when it's when we don't think that we have it when we know we do and rightfully so because it has sort of a negative connotation you know you check your privilege yeah we should be checking our privilege mm-hmm. if if you have the capacity to be on the internet at 7 o'clock in the evening on your computer with a microphone you have a heck of a lot of privilege yes 100% right so how are you
0: going to use it use it for good describe your ideal day or what consists of a good or great day to you <laughs>
1: Uh, Oh my god! I've never been asked this question before. Ah, what's a great day! Okay, so my absolute like ideal day—again, this is going to sound so crazy—but I think I had my ideal day like this past weekend, where I totally um, transformed our backyard. That's fun. Yeah, I'm I'm such a DIYer. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so we we had these you know, we, we put up a fence and the lights and all the furniture and like a whole landscape thing. And then I like landscaped the pathway with all of the extra stones that we had. So it's oh like, a nice mosaic. yeah, no, I'm, um, but we totally transformed our whole backyard and it looks so nice. And then I did this room too. This is my room that I transformed, painted the brick, yeah insulated the floor like insulation behind this brick is all insulate like i love that kind of stuff that i'm able to all, all i want to do is buy a whole bunch of like tools and be a diyer and then when i'm done be a mixologist so i can make my drinks and like have a kickass drink what
0: are you like on a specific drink right now do you have a, a drink for each season or are you just whatever you're feeling
1: No, I'm on a total champagne um, trip right now. Yeah, like every day is a day to celebrate every single day. (laughs) And, you know, a friend of a friend of ours had to drop something over the other day. So he dropped over like a few bottles. Love it. (laughs) Because he said he doesn't want me to be the only one embarrassed by buying all the champagne at the (laughs) OCBO. It was it was really kind. But yeah. I have a really nice palette for mixing drinks and cooking too. I don't like to cook, but I could really I could do fancy in the kitchen. When I grow up, I want to have a DIY show during the day and then own a like bar at night. And then after, like, you know, when we go, like, everybody sees me, I'm all grimy. I'm like, yeah, I'm using my hacksaw or whatever that saw is called. I don't know what it's called. (laughs) And then I get changed and I'm like high-heeled up and like fancied up. And I come in and I'm like having my champagne, my little flute.
0: So for each episode, the whole idea is defining your idea of success. So how do you define success or what is your definition of success?
1: Another great question. Um, uh, This has changed for me, to be honest. So success 15 years ago would have been making money because I had a company. um, Right now, I'm also kind of self-employed because I work part-time at Queens um, by choice, by design. So my success right now is being able to live in the now to totally appreciate Every single moment. So to be doing this podcast with you, I'm totally focused on this moment. So when people say to me, "Selena, what are you doing? Ne- what's what's next for Selena?" I'm like, "I'm doing now. Next, I'm gonna appreciate the moment. Next, I'm gonna smell the roses." I, and I'm such a Type A personality, but I I've recognized that that busy, busy burn lifestyle was not conducive it was not bringing me joy and this joy that I'm feeling right now is the best for me that's amazing
0: typically what I'll ask at like the end of every interview is what are some big projects you're looking forward to or what are you looking
1: forward to but I'm going to switch that
0: for you okay so I'm going to say what are you most excited about
1: right now oh my goodness I'm excited about the book I'm excited about how, like you know, one by one, I'm hearing people talk about this book and how it's helped them. How they highlight pages, how they have notes in it. How it's you know, and it, people of all backgrounds, um, all ages, races, men, women, people in between are just loving the the story. And I'm I'm loving that. I'm appreciating that. And I'm also you know writing a course that goes with the book. So a journal but not a t- traditional journal it is the it is the how to manual of can you hear me now so how did selena get from immigrant girl to parliamentary secretary to leader of a G7 country what are the steps you need to take by her definition
0: yeah <laughs> I wish I had a soundboard. Some podcasters do where they have that, those like things where they play a sound and it goes like, <laughs>
1: this is so much better. My didn't was so much better, but how I defined doing those things. So I have like a 13 course manual that says, okay, first I have to overcome fear and this is how you do it. So it's not just reading there's exercises, there's journaling, but there's actual exercises, like homework that you have to do to do that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm building that right now. So I'm loving that.
0: Wow, that's amazing. It's like holding you yourself accountable because let's yeah. be honest, you can't
1: get to the
0: next stage in your
1: life if you're not holding yourself accountable. Exactly, exactly. And more importantly, I think, is exactly what you're doing with this po- podcast is giving people the tools be able to then do it themselves.
0: You're a firm believer that our failures can provide far more value and life lessons than our successes can. What is your advice to those who maybe struggle to look at their failures in a different way and seek out that learning experience?
1: Oh my goodness. Every single pain, hurt, mistake that you've made, there is beauty in every single one of them. And you know what? To those who are struggling, don't struggle let it go. You might not see it right now. So, you know, you make a mistake and you're like, oh, let me dig and find like the lesson in here. <laughs> Child, you might be still in the mess. so You can't find no message in that mess. So just leave the mess. Acknowledge. I think at, the, at least the first thing to do is just acknowledge that there is going to be some beauty that comes from this pain. There is going to be some purpose that comes from this hurt, right? So at least acknowledge that and then put it to the universe and the universe will let you know what that lesson is when it's time, when you're ready to receive it. But if you go in and like digging and searching for it, it might not come and that's okay. Just at least acknowledge that there is something that you should be gaining. That's beautiful from no matter how terrible the experience is. I say that with a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding that some people are going through some pretty terrible things. um, And you're just like, there is, it's impossible to see the beauty in this. And the the beauty doesn't mean that you're going to be laughing and joking. It means that you are either going to have resilience or you're going to be able to take this lesson and advocate for someone else. So they don't have to experience your pain. It's still painful. It's still going to hurt, but you'll be able to use it for some kind of good.
0: Finally, what's your advice to the next generation of female leaders who are advocating for racial and social justice in addition to gender equality?
1: Show up. Just do it. Showing up is the hardest part. You can't, I, you know, I could say, you know, be authentic and, you know, go out there and do blah, blah, blah. But if you don't show up, you can't be authentic because you're not there. <laughs> It's very true. (laughs) So the first thing to do is to show up. You got to show up. The world has no time for you to be small. You go big or you go home. You must. We're living in an age where, you know, a reality TV star could be the president of the United States. No idea is too small. Show up. Show up and, and show the world who you are. Show the world who you are. Let them know who you are. Often we dismiss ourselves because we think, oh, it's that's, that idea is not good. It's too small. It's never going to have impact. Watch. Watch it have impact. Believe me. Believe me. I don't even know who you are listening right now who's thinking that this idea is too small. It is not too small. It will have impact. I have already manifested it for you. Go do it. Do it now. Get off the podcast. Go. Yeah, yeah, you. I'm talking to you. Go do it now.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Her Defined Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want your feedback. Do you have any successful entrepreneurial or businesswoman in your life who should be featured on an episode of Her Defined? If so, send me a DM on Instagram at Her Defined Podcast or by email at, at gmail.com Today's episode has been produced and edited by yours truly, Juliana Dalacosta. Be sure to check back next Tuesday for another episode to hear her stories, hear her advice, hear her defined.